This is the East Trauma Cast. With your moderators, Ferox Madback, University of Florida, Jacksonville. Dave Morris from Intermountain Medical Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. Carrie Valdez from Covenant Hospital in Saginaw, Michigan. And Matt Martin from Madigan Army Medical Center. This program brought to you by the Online Education Committee of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. Advancing science, fostering relationships, and building careers. Okay, hello and welcome, everyone. This is uh, Matt Martin. We're back with a, another great edition of the East TraumaCast. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about all things endovascular trauma and bleeding management. And first off, I'm here with uh, my moderator, Carrie Valdez. Uh, Carrie, you want to introduce yourself? Hello, hello. It's Carrie. And from... Oh, sorry. We do the full introduction. You just edit that last part out. Yeah. Hi, it's Carrie. Uh, I'm a trauma surgeon at Central Michigan University up in uh, Saginaw, Michigan. I work at Covenant Hospital. And currently out of power in the middle of an ice storm. Yes. <laughs> the middle of a – I can't remember the name of the storm. It looks like Zarelto or something like that, but Storm X that's come across has <laughs> covered our entire city in a half an inch of ice. Okay, great. And And we're very fortunate to have our special guest today. Uh, who has really become a worldwide leader in endovascular trauma management, uh, Dr. Tal Horror. And you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, Tal? Yeah, hi. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Tal. I'm a vascular and general surgeon. I worked uh, originally from Israel, working many years in Sweden, and uh, love resuscitation and uh, trauma. Okay, well, uh, we'll start off with uh, just a little bit about exactly what is this EVTM. I've, I've started to see this popping up on social media and, and you know, on the East website. There's an EVTM meeting, and to be honest, I hadn't heard about that organization until about six months ago. Uh, and so, so I guess this is an organization you started. So why don't you quickly just tell our audience uh, what exactly is EVTM? All right. Real quickly, it started around 2005 and formalized around 2009. And we were thinking about a, I'm a vascular surgeon and we're doing quite a lot of very, very much endovascular surgery, aortic surgery, ruptures, etc. And it developed in this way that we saw that there are a lot of things you can do with endovascular tools. One of them is the aortic balloon or called today Reboa. Uh, and we developed it into a program, started the program in 2009 and my research program and developed something quite big. The idea was endovascular and hybrid trauma management, but it became uh, in the last five, six years endovascular resuscitation and trauma management with great help of people like Joe DeBoss, uh, Todd Rasmussen and others and cooperation with the vascular surgeons like Thomas Larson, my, my mentor, and other great people, it became quite a big thing. And the idea is to use endovascular and minimal invasive tools to help you in procedures, to help in stabilizing the patients. And then some years ago, um, I discovered that the, the name, the American name of, of the balloon is Reboa, and I thought always about ABO, aortic balloon occlusion. And so it became, it, it, it melted together into something interesting. Uh, and uh, then we had some projects and some research about it. And then a meeting in February 2017. It was very successful. It's on YouTube. Uh, you can see it. And then 
We had a mini meeting in the state some months ago, and uh, we plan another meeting in the summer in Sweden. Yeah, and uh, and I was fortunate enough to attend the Houston Pan American EBTM meeting, and it was uh, it was fantastic. And then I understand you've also started a journal. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a lot of parts in this project. So one of them we can say is the report part. The other is endovascular tools and a lot of research and collaboration about it. Uh, the journal itself, the JEBTM, started uh, has, uh, a year ago, and uh, it's now it's been the second edition. It will come in May, the third edition, and we encourage people to submit uh, information and data about endovascular resuscitation, tools, methods, data, etc. And then there are a lot of other issues like workshops, EVTM and Reboil workshops. There are some talks now to do some uh, more things in South America. We did uh, two Reboil workshops in Brazil. It's been introduced in many countries as EVTM and Reboil workshops. So, so it's a lot of work around it, which is quite fun. There is a textbook being written now, a manual that we call the Top Stent that was written a year ago. So it's a lot of fun, really, a great collaboration with people. It's amazing. And, and uh, you know, how... How have you seen the organization uh, grow over the past couple of years? Has it been, uh, you know, pretty slow and steady, or have you seen a, a pretty significant expansion, as uh, especially as we've started to really embrace Roboa in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. It's a huge expansion. I didn't expect this reaction. You know, I, I, the thing is, I think major thing about it is a multidisciplinary thought. And if, if you have, for example, Carrie with us, she's a trauma surgeon, but, but I guess Carrie would do other things, I don't know, a, some cancer surgery or whatever, or, or trauma in a patient with cancer. And she can use these tools or speak to her colleagues to use these tools to facilitate, to help her. So in that sense, it, this is the major issue. You've got a multidisciplinary approach, getting ideas, tips and tricks from other people, from other disciplinaries and using it. Uh, one example that it was expanding so uh, so powerly, uh, powerfully is uh, the use, for example, in Reboa in postpartum bleeding. And we know that people are using it, but people don't know how extensive it is in using embolization, et cetera, and Reboa in postpartum bleeding. So it, it, it expanded very, very fast. And now there, there are many projects. One of them is with Houston, Texas, about uh, postpartum bleeding. There are others in other countries. A lot of research about it. Uh, the meeting, I hope, will be uh, bigger and better now. And there are a lot of things planned. So, so it's, it's the collaboration expanded uh, uh, very fast, I have to say. Well, I think it's great so, uh, here the collaboration together. I to give you some background at my hospital, we did not have Reboa. I started working there almost two years ago, and that was one project I brought on as I wanted to bring Reboa. So we just got approval um, this month, and we're going to start all the training next month with our hopefully our launch date of letting Reboa go live is sometime in June. I'm getting ready for from the trauma perspective from all the penetrating trauma that we see in the summertime. And mm-hmm. since we brought it to the hospital, I've had gynecologists ask me if they can use it. My orthopedic surgeons want to use it for their pelvic surgery. They say, can we use it during surgery? Like, when can we use it and how can we use it? And at this point, I don't have a whole lot to guide them on or to tell them because I can only speak of it from really my perspective and the trauma based in my experience. It's nice to hear that we're starting to have more information and research out there for expanding the use of Reboa into other fields. 
I think this is the main, I, I agree with you, and I think this is the main thing, the secret behind the EBTM, that you don't just put a balloon and go home. The balloon doesn't, the rebar doesn't solve any problem. Rebar helps you as a bridge to do something. And it's great. We, I've been in cases I did with a cardiologist or an ICU a doctor that did the puncture and the access. So you can learn a lot from each other. You can, you can use it in different situations that you never thought about, that you can do it. Uh, one of them is, for example, the, the postpartum, or it can be a cancer bleeding or spontaneous bleeders, and you 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 can use it in 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 a very good way if you learn from each other, if you cooperate, and uh, not uh, not competing. And I think this is the main idea. And then you, of course, can use more difficult or more advanced tools like uh, endograft symbolizations, etc in these situations, but these demands maybe a higher level of skills. So, Carrie, that's interesting. You guys are just uh, implementing Reboa. Um, just starting. So yep. <laughs> what, what did you guys establish as your training requirements for becoming competent, and then who are you going to allow to place a Reboa? Is it going to just be the trauma surgeons? Is it, are you allowing emergency medicine to participate? Yeah, that's great questions. Um, so the first part of it for training and for the protocol for our hospital, I mostly um, almost mimic exactly what the joint trauma system, um, their protocol for Reboa and just took it and adapted it for our specific hospital. Um, and that is what it just got approved with our protocol. And this is how we're going to use it, who's going to use it. The training part of it, um, Pride Time, the company that owns Reboa, does a really nice job of coming in. The plan will be they'll be here for a number of weeks. They'll train everybody. They want it to be very smooth and comfortable. So when the first patient comes, there's no flailing. It's just like, yep, we've done this. We've practiced. We've practiced. We've practiced. Um, my initial intent when we first started working on this last fall was that it would be attending level emergency room providers and trauma surgeons would be able to place it. At our specific hospital, we do not have um, surgery residents. So it's just trauma attendings, but we do have ER residents. And we all initially agreed this would be an attending level procedure. And then the joint um, statement from the American College of Surgeons and uh, American College of Emergency Physicians that came out in January pretty, pretty specifically declared this really should be a trauma surgeon placed uh, line only. The, the Reboa should only be placed by the trauma surgeons. And I know that's being reviewed at the moment, but since we are new and it's our first time using it, we, we want to just stick with the national guidelines and kind of understanding at this point. So what we've agreed on is in the resuscitation, because our emergency colleagues are so, so good with ultrasound that either a senior resident or an attending is going to place our uh, femoral line with ultrasound. That will be their responsibility. They're part of it while the trauma surgeon is getting ready to um, place the Reboa itself. And then management of the Reboa as the patient moves through the hospital, whether they go to IR, whether they go to the OR, because um, like you said, it doesn't fix anything. It just gives us a little more time. But wherever they go, the five trauma surgeons who work in my hospital, we've all agreed we will manage the Reboa. And so if that means we need to go to the operating room with the orthopedic surgeons and then as they're letting the balloon down, like we're there and involved in managing that. The buy-in we needed at our hospital is um, the vascular surgeons are available for consult if we need any help because we're going to use the ER Reboa, which has the smaller sheath, so we shouldn't need an open vascular repair when we remove it. But any complications, sure. any concerns, they're on board to help us. Um, our IR colleagues are also there and available. Um, and so those were really the five departments we needed with anesthesia, IR, um, ortho, us, and then 
the emergency room physicians, and all five departments kind of came together and agreed this is how we will do it at our hospital until or if there's a change in kind of the national standard for who's going to place it. And that, I think that's a great collaborative approach, uh, way to do that. And and I've seen others not so collaborative uh, that, you know, have taken the opinion that this should only be placed by a surgeon. Uh, and, and what do you think about that, Tal? Who, who should be credentialed to be yeah. using, we'll talk about Rebola specifically. Yeah, I, I think it's a great issue of discussion. Uh, I think it depends on your work, and I think this is beautiful what Carrie mentioned, because it depends on your center. Of course, it depends U.S. or not U.S. You have to stick to the rules, and this is something, of course, you have to take into consideration. But I think it, it doesn't really matter who plays it. In some, I've been in situations, we've been in situations that the, the trauma of the surgeon, trauma surgeon or general surgeon, is very occupied with the abdomen or, or thoracotomy. You need extra hands. So in my opinion, it doesn't matter who is doing it as long as it's qualified by a course or workshops or, or whatever certificate you're using. The best course, for example, is a great course. We have other courses or workshops. Uh, as long as you know what you're doing and working in a team and there is one leader, for example, Carrie is leading and she's telling me how to do the access, can you put in the balloon or help me put in the balloon and I will manage the abdomen, take down the balloon, do partial occlusion, etc. So if you're qualified, I don't think it really matters and you have to stick to the regulations, of course. Sure. And so you mentioned uh, postpartum hemorrhage. So I'll throw this out yeah. to, to both of you. Uh, that obviously gets into the OB-GYN area. So do you think, do you think an OB-GYN surgeon should be placing this or, or would be credentialed? Or sh- should that be where they're consulting the vascular surgeon or the trauma surgeon who's managing and placing that Reboa? Uh, Carrie, do you want to take it first? Oh, sure. Um, so at least at our hospital to start, we've all agreed we're not going to use Reboa electively. So for elective cases, cases where we anticipate blood loss, we're not going to use it only because as a trauma surgeon, I am not free and available to come sit with you for your six-hour cancer resection that you think there's going to be a lot of blood loss. So the resources at this point, we just want to keep it in an emergency situation. Um, Often at our hospital, if there is somebody who has massive hemorrhage in gynecology, for example, they'll usually call us. I mean, I think the trauma surgeons, especially those who are trained in critical care, really are masterful at the managing the hemorrhage and all the pathophysiology that comes along with it. So if they, for example, were to call me and someone's massively bleeding, whether the trauma was from surgery, whether the trauma was from a car accident, I'm going to just consider that a trauma and I'm going to let that one be managed by a trauma surgeon. But we aren't going to have any Reboas at our hospital, at least to start, be done without a trauma surgeon involved. So we're trying to Limit it while also do what's best for the patients in the area. So if someone needs it, like we'll do it. But our plan at this point really is just to have it for the uh, emergency room. Sure. What do you think about that, Tal? Uh, well, I have to tell you, in our hospital, there are four stations with Reboa, which part of the EVTM program. One in the ICU, one in the surgical suite, one in the hybrid suite, and one in the ER. Separate stations, because it depends where you're being called who who is there. I think that in general it depends, as you think, to, to the place you're working, what you feel confident with and, and how you want to do it. And in general, I think if you if someone can do access and learn it, and it can be a, a gene, OB gene a doctor or, or, or ED doctor or vascular, it doesn't matter really. 
as long as he or she feels comfortable with it, knows what they're doing, indications, how to use the balloon, etc. And so, for example, I know a lot of situations where an IR being called to, to, to the gynecology to, to help. It could be a vascular surgeon. It, uh, now, yesterday, case was done in Russia by a colleague, Dr. Riva, that did a, a treta and did a marvelous work. He, I got some photos from him. So he's a trauma surgeon. He helped the gene uh, doctors do, do it. So I think it, it depends on the, where you work, and this is part of the concept. Uh, you have to adapt to your hospital, what's okay in your hospital. Uh, as you say, you can't stand there for six hours and wait till it's bleeding. And to uh, to uh, we'll close out the Raboa discussion. Uh, back to the the training and who should do it. So, Carrie, you mentioned that statement. Uh, it was a joint statement by the American College of Surgeons and American College of Emergency Physicians uh, that came out oh, a couple months ago, and I'm sure both of you saw that. And uh, Carrie, I noticed you know you said you guys are having prime time come out and doing some kind of training. Uh, you didn't mention the best course. And, and yeah, sure. Two two things two things about this statement. One was it, it essentially said, you know, really the only the only course that's acceptable is the best course. And then the other part of that statement was that only critical care trained emergency physicians should be allowed to be credentialed to place it. So uh, why don't we we start with the the part about the best course? So Carrie, are you, are you guys using the best course, or you're kind of doing your own? training um we're not i i did the best course in when i was a, a fellow at talk trauma so i completed it um and then mm-hmm. my understanding and from what we reviewed is that the the training that price will offer should make everybody comfortable and ready to place the product if anybody is not comfortable at the end of this training we're starting to have discussions now about well are we going to bring the best course to us do our surgeons travel someplace that has the best course? Who finances that? Like, we're going to see how this prior time training goes. My, from reading everything they're going to do, it feels like it should be adequate, but we certainly don't want anybody placing the Reboa if they're not ready or comfortable. And then it comes to the second sure. part of it, like you said, is what is the standard of care? And if we had a complication, are we following the standards of care nationally? And I'm not sure we have exact standards of care really defined yet. I think that's one thing that the EB um, TM can, can maybe help us with in the future is how do we how do we make sure we're doing what's right with something that's new new for trauma at least sure and and how about you Todd um, what do you th- what do, what do you think about those two recommendations best course and only critical care trained emergency physicians I, I can't really answer this I don't know the American system that well so I I, I can just say if you I, I've I've seen I visited the best course and I think it's marvelous. Uh, I am more concerned that any reboy should, should be a part of a bigger issue, what we call the EVTN, which means to put the balloon, everybody can put the balloon. The, the, the question is what you do afterwards, how you deal with it, day one, day two, day three, etc. So I, I don't, I can't answer about the U.S. part. I think a good training, the best course is an amazing course, amazing work of Brenner and shock and trauma people, and and the I think this should do, and then you have to do other, you have to, to be clinically involved in your patient and know what you're doing the minute after you place the reboa, so, and before, so who is doing it depends on the country and where you are. Sure. At our, and, at our and hospital, 
Sorry, I was going to say at our hospital, we don't have any, nobody in our um, emergency department is critical care trained. And so for the moment, we just said, well, since, since we don't have anybody that even fits in that category, let's just keep our protocol clean. And at the moment, we'll say just trauma surgeons. Now, if somebody comes along next year or the year after and they are emergency medicine and critical care and they are interested in doing the Reboa as a, as a group, we'll kind of revisit credentialing. And at that point, I'm hoping to have five to ten you know, patient experience is kind of under our belt. So as a hospital, we kind of have a better feel of how this is going to run and who can do it. I think we'll be a little more comfortable expanding beyond the trauma surgeons at that point. Sure. And and full disclosure, we're running our first best course at Madigan next week. Uh, you know, <laughs> Megan Brandon Brenner's coming out, so we're looking forward to it. But but we did we started Reboa about oh, a year and a half, two years ago, and we did the same thing you guys did, Carrie. As you know, we we uh, created a protocol had some education, we had prime time and the simulators come in and then we, you know, considered everyone credentialed. But but uh it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, now that there's that statement out that that, that really says, you know, you should all be doing best and whether that is the standard mm-hmm. of care. And and I agree hundred percent, you know, same thing in the military. We we have now we have a bunch of emergency physicians. They're they're a key team member at our forward surgical teams. And and they're not critical care trained, and we're not going to require them to be. They need to know how to use Reboa. So uh, yeah. so those that that statement actually stirred up quite a bit of controversy. And I can tell you, the, the emergency medicine community was uh, generally not real happy about that, and gave a lot of feedback to to their president. So uh, uh, there may be some. And my understanding is that's under that. review. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. there was there was again a lot of reaction about some details of that. From the military, from the emergency medicine community, so uh, we'll, we'll need to see where that shakes out. So, uh, well, let me ask I, I you this. That, um, yeah, I was going to ask a question. Since, since you, so you're two years ahead of where we're going to be. My concern: they asked me to estimate how many robots are we going to do, and I said, I, by the patient census and looking, at who could have used it last year? Or about six to ten in a year. I have five trauma surgeons, so depending on who's on call, you may only do one or none in a year. What are you doing to keep your surgeons fresh and ready to place the Reboa if they haven't done it in four, six months, or maybe ever? So so our standpoint has been, should be once a year refresher training at least. And, mm-hmm. and again, now we're, we're starting the best course uh, at our facility that we're going to be running at least once a year. And our, you know, our surgeons will be, either be instructors or be taking the course. Uh, and our residents will all be taking the course. And we also have, we have uh, the the Mentis simulator at our facility that's there 24-7, so they can they can do simulation whenever they want. So, so that, but that's been our standpoint is, you know, at least once a year refresher of just, e- even just, hey, where, where do you keep this thing again in the ER and, you know, where are all the supplies? So, uh, so but, you, but that's a huge issue is how do you maintain competence after the initial training? And and nobody's really defined that yet. I I, I mm-hmm. agree with Hall though. I think I think the placement, you know, once you've learned the technical steps, the, the placement isn't the huge issue. It, it's I mean the biggest one is patient selection because you can help someone or you can really hurt someone with Reboa. And, and then it's how you manage how you manage the balloon and how you manage the reason you place the balloon. Do you agree with that, Paul? Yeah, I agree. And I think the major point is not the Reboa. The major point is vascular access. And if you train on vascular access, training on two things, you guys are putting femoral lines, uh, blood pressure monitoring, femoral lines, uh, which you can put in many patients and train on it. Uh, Reboy itself, the procedure, putting the balloon in experienced hands, it's, it's around 10, 15 seconds. 
it's not about this. It's the, it's the vascular access, and that's why I claim it's part of the concept, the EDPM concept. And I might also add that now we know that uh, the balloon, uh, these methods are used not only in trauma, they are used in bleeders, uh, in different kind of bleeders. Uh, and I think you will get a higher volume than what you think. Uh, I see the, the balloon itself part of the tools of the endovascular tools, and like in, that you have adrenaline or no adrenaline that you can use to stabilize the patient temporarily. And now we're using it or we are doing major research on ribovirus bridge to ECMO. So there are a lot of things coming from it and you will train more than you think. The balloon itself, it's, it's a very small part of the procedure, it's the vascular access. And you can train on vascular access in many patients when you put the arterial line. Sure. And so, as is typical, I think, when we when we talk about well, endovascular trauma management, we, we've now spent the entire time talking about Roboa. Uh, but <laughs> but there's obviously there's obviously things beyond Roboa. And, uh, mm-hmm. and Tal, I think that's one of the things you try and focus on with your organization. So, uh, if you want to real quickly just comment on, you know, what are, what are all the adjunct, adjuncts we should be talking about or looking at for trauma beyond Roboa? I agree. Um, I think uh, the concentration is on the balloon right now, but, you know, pelvic bleeding, embolization, and uh, stand crafts in different locations, thoracic injuries, I think it became the standard uh, as as possible, depends on the centers uh, doing it. So I think these tools like embolizations, like stand crafts or endografts, use, uh, we consider also ECMO is a part of coming more and more in trauma, maybe not on day one, maybe day two and three. These tools are very important, and of course, one of the major things when you get a trauma patient is you get a vascular access to monitor the blood pressure. So this is also part of the EVTM, and I think uh, this is uh, sometimes simple tools uh, that people forget, um, and sometimes more advanced tools like endographs that can, that can save the patients. So this is generally what EVTM is all about. As we go so forward, they- do you think that? Oh, sorry. As we go forward, do you, Paul, do you feel that the training is going to be, you have a trauma surgeon and a vascular surgeon involved in this patient, or do you think in the future we're going to have a vascular trauma surgeon, so someone who specifically trains in vascular trauma? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I know in Baltimore it's being built in this way, and, and uh, Joe DeVos and Johnny Morrison and Megan Brenner and Melanie Owen are dealing with these issues. I think yeah. it depends. These are major centers with a lot of trauma. If you speak about Europe, these don't have major centers. It's impossible to build such a team. If I, I, I've, been, I've done quite a lot of trauma, and I cannot work. Days I cannot work as a trauma surgeon in Europe as I see it. So you have to combine people. In our institute, it's an, the endovascular surgeon, which the majority of us are also general surgeons. All of us. All of us and have been training trauma and did quite a lot of trauma. So it's kind of a combination. It depends on your institute. I think as a trauma surgeon, you, you, they teach you or you're, you're teaching to do thoracotomy. The balloon or the access is, is part of it, and you have to know it. Okay, so uh, before we uh, start to wrap it up, I'm going to give you guys a case and no waffling. You're going to tell me what you would do. <laughs> so we'll start. We'll uh, carry and tall. So you have a patient who's got a gunshot wound to the left clav- clavicular area. 
Um, they're hemodynamically stable. Got a hole right at the midpoint of the left clavicle and no pulse in the left arm. And we'll say you get him imaging and the the left subclavian artery is injured. Are you going to console vascular and try and stent that, or are you going to do an open repair? We'll start with you, Carrie. So hemodynamically stable, I'm going to call my vascular surgeon and my IR um, surgeon and see, get their opinion, get them to weigh in, see if it's something that they think they can do endovascular. And this is, of course, if he's hemodynamically stable. Unstable is an open repair immediately. Well, they, they, our hospital, they, say, they say it's your choice. They say they, they can try and stent that, or you can repair it open, and they'll do whatever you want. Oh, if they think they can get it, then I want them to do it, uh, to stent it. Our institution takes about an hour to get our IR team in if it's not a, um, if it's not during business hours. If it's overnight or on the weekends, it's about an hour. So if he's stable, I would like them to come in and try to repair it and to ask for a hint that's best for the patient. Of course, being poised at any point, if he's unstable, then we just go straight to the OR. All right. And what do you think, Kyle? What, what, what would you do with that patient? You, you will be surprised. I will activate both methods. I think good open surgery is great. And um, <clears throat> if it's a very obese patient, you know, the surgery, surgery before in this area, whatever, I, I would do everything to do endovascular. But in the trauma, come, incoming trauma patient, one of us would put the introducer sheet in the in the inguinal area, go up and have a balloon, do angiography from the side, and uh, probably there are ways to to solve many cases by endovascular methods. But I do believe it, it can be also a bridge, and I can have things in place and do an open repair. And um, it depends on the situation, but open repair is great if it's not if it's accessible. If you have uh, your your balloon and your wire in place, it can help you. So uh, uh, open surgery is great. I, I would do, of course, endovascular in some cases, but some would do open repair. Okay, good Good to hear. There's still some room for us dinosaurs doing open repair. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You don't so, get away with that. What would you do? What would you do in that situation? I would I would do an, in a young trauma patient, like, like Paul said, you know, if they're morbidly obese or there's some real access issues, then I think I would head towards endovascular. But but I I have concerns about throwing stent grafts in a 20-year-old's in the long-term, you know, efficacy of that. So so I would do an open repair. Although although I agree with Tom, if we can get you know proximal control endovascularly, uh, then I certainly like that hybrid approach. Uh, but for the the average young healthy person, I I would still probably favor an open repair. So we'll uh, we'll uh we'll wrap it up with uh so Paul you, you mentioned I think it was I think it was your first annual international symposium last year and so the it's the second one that's coming up uh this summer, is that correct? Yeah it's correct. We had a small meeting in the, or a mini meeting in Houston, Texas and it was very encouraging. We will see how it will go this year in June. Seven, eight, ninth of June in Sweden. Beautiful Sweden. So well, then I'll just I'll just turn it over to you. So this this uh, second international EPTM conference is coming up. Uh, I'm actually excited about attending it. So why don't you real quickly just uh, you know what are the highlights uh, uh, and uh, uh, some information about this meeting that our audience should hear. 
we will get a lot of people presenting data and technical aspects and results from uh, different endovascular and hybrid methods to treat uh, both mainly trauma, but a lot of other type of, type of uh, bleedings like PPH, postpartum bleedings, etc. cetera, uh, some data about ECMOIN trauma and other things, and reports of different collaborations uh, that are done in this uh, area now and major advances. For example, we will get the report of, uh, in general, all the military rebars that were done, uh, battlefield rebars that were done by three different militaries. Uh, and I think it will be, it will give a lot of thoughts uh, and data and thoughts how to continue and how to extend this collaboration. And so if somebody wants to attend, uh, where can they sign up? It's on www.jevtm.com, and if you can't attend, it will be live on the Internet. We believe in cooperation and getting everything free. It will be free on all social medias. It will be on YouTube later on. Oh, fantastic. And, and, uh, and Carrie, if, you, if your hospital has uh, funds to train all your surgeons in Reboa, uh, how about you send them all to Orbro, Sweden, and they attend the course? That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking road trip in June, all five of us just peace out for five days. No problem. <laughs> we will have also, we will try to have some vascular workshops and rebar workshops during the Congress or the symposium. And I think it's a great place to meet people. For example, you will meet a bunch of people from South Africa. Rebar and EVTM was introduced there. Around 16, 18 cases has been done by now. So it's a lot of new things coming, and the great thing is you can learn from people, other people, um, how to do, how did they do in their centers, how and think how you should do in your own center. It's great collaboration, great place to learn from others' mistakes and other successes. It's it's a great place, I think. All right. Well, I uh, like I said, I was at the Pan American meeting in Houston. It was fantastic, and we're uh, really looking forward to the uh, the meeting in Sweden. So, uh, again, I really want to thank our uh, guest, uh, Dr. Tahor, for uh, his uh, opinions and experience and leadership uh, in this uh, EVTM organization. And, uh, Carrie, thanks a lot for co-moderating. Thank it was you great. All. Lots of information. It's thank, you. thank you. And that wraps up another edition of TraumaCast, brought to you by the online education section of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. You can check out all of the great educational and career development resources available on the East website at www.east.org. And make sure you subscribe to the TraumaCast series so you don't miss any of our exciting upcoming programs and interviews. So if you're searching for cutting-edge science and research, professional education, networking and building relationships, and career development, remember that all you need to do is look to the East. Mm -hmm.